The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us what they had indeed seen, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and how and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, can you imagine the joy of those two men on the road to Emmaus? Not unlike the disciples, they had heard rumblings of an empty tomb and were wondering what it had meant. And then in the breaking of the bread, the risen Christ reveals himself to them. And now... He asks them how they could dare to believe that something bad had happened when, in fact, the best thing imaginable had, in fact, taken place. Now, how could they believe such a thing now? Well, it's because the resurrection of Jesus completes the entire story of the Bible. The entire story of the Bible. 
It's something that many Christians are frankly unaware of and maybe even ignore. Indeed, I think I could say it's a problem in the Christian church today that much of what is in the Bible is ignored or seen as totally obsolete or having nothing of help to us in understanding God. But if we are to honor God with our lives, then our goal should be to better understand God and our relationship to Him. To put it simply, we often evaluate the person and work of Jesus outside of his own full context, which, of course, is what we would call the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. We can even have a bias towards the New Testament when we form our understanding of Christianity. If you think of our worship, for example, half of our readings every Sunday are from the New Testament, an epistle and a gospel, and yet the New Testament is less than one-fourth of the entire Bible. And considering that one of our Old Testament lessons is always from the Psalter, just one book of the Bible, then one of our lessons is from about 70% of the remaining Old Testament. Or maybe, for example, you've decided to really be disciplined and take part in one of those Read the Bible in a Year programs. Uh, I have a, a Bible where it's laid out for you. Each day or date is, is laid out. Well, what you'll realize quickly is that you're reading a lot of the Old Testament. A, a lot of what you're reading is probably totally unfamiliar to you. Only about 10% of what you read is from the Gospels, which is what we spend the majority of our time on Sunday morning focusing on. Now, what I've said so far might sound very strange. How can you have a bias, something that's usually not considered good, against something as good as the New Testament? And isn't such a bias actually proper, given that the New Testament, of course, is new and the Old Testament is old? Doesn't the New Testament make the Old Testament old for a reason? Didn't Jesus fulfill the law? Doesn't that make most of what's in the Old Testament obsolete? Doesn't the New Testament reflect the fuller and better uh, nature and character of God, whereas the Old Testament only reflects the Father, and let's be honest, he can be a little judgy at times? Well, the bias, of course, can be bad if we come to understand the gospel of Christ as anything less than what it is and anything more than what it is. If the gospel comes to be seen as nothing but a liberating force that frees us from all sin and judgment and even obedience, it can quickly be cheapened and an excuse to deny even the moral law of God. That has taken place many times in church history and is happening today. Likewise, if we only focus on the good news of Jesus Christ, that is, if when we say gospel, we only mean the gospel as opposed to the law rather than the gospel being the full and total revelation of God, if we only think of it 
uh, as the good news of Christ then, and never the requirements of the law, then we will soon forget why we needed Jesus in the first place. We'll forget what makes the good news really and truly good. Let me put it another way. Especially in Lutheran circles, I must confess, we are often careful to make distinctions between the law and the gospel. We're, we've uh, written big old books about it and everything. Uh, C.F.W. Walther, the founder of the New Testament, his most famous work, of course, is Law and Gospel, making distinctions between them. So Lutherans are always very careful to say, which is good, that the law is not the gospel and the gospel is not the law. The law is what you should do and the gospel is what God has done for you. Never confuse the two. To which I say, great, fantastic. But what can happen is that we then take the gospel, which we see as the final word, because Jesus has been risen from the dead, and that is surely good news, and it becomes the only thing that matters, that bias can come into play. And the rest of the story then is forgotten. And soon you'll hear Christians speaking about the God of the Old Testament, as if there is a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. Um, or we come to understand the God of the Old Testament as only vengeful or full of wrath or judgment, whereas the God of the New Testament, now fully revealed, is a God of grace and salvation. And again, this gets filtered down through the years as then the message of Christianity being only about forgiveness and reconciliation. In other words, we privilege the New Testament at the expense of the old. And we, might sound strange to say, bear with me, we privilege the gospel at the expense of the law. We lose sight of the whole revelation. Now again, even as I say those words, I realize how utterly strange that might sound. And it does sound strange in part because it is true that the final word of God is victory. And in truth, a message of grace only is often a response to another message that Christians will have, uh, which is that Christianity possesses no true liberation or freedom, but rather it's just a moral list of do's and don'ts. And much of Christianity today doesn't really preach the gospel, the freedom of the gospel. It just tells you how you ought to live. So the final word of God, let me be clear, is forgiveness. God always gets the last word, and it's always a good word. The final word of God is liberty. Neither sin nor death nor the law of God can keep us from the Father who truly loves us and desires that all would be saved. So what's the problem? Again, the problem can come if we emphasize the greatness of the freedom that we have at the expense of continuing expectations of the law of God. I don't think the New Testament writers would have understood the gospel in a way, Paul certainly didn't if you read his letters, that with the good news of the gospel comes an ability to let go of the law in any way. Even if much of the Old Testament law no longer applies, and that is certainly the case, do we believe that knowledge of it can help us 
to know God better, his character and his nature. In other words, I would argue that knowing the Old Testament well does reveal the character and nature of God, even in those laws that Christ has totally fulfilled. Do we understand that in order to love God and love our neighbor, that we need some kind of standard by which we would accomplish that? What is the standard of love? What does love look like? It's outlined in the law of God. Within the New Testament itself, the apostles understood Jesus in the light of the Old Testament. And we see that in several passages today, and that's why I'm speaking of all of this. In our reading from Acts, for example, which is now kind of the middle section of Peter's sermon in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, we hear Peter say this, This man, Jesus, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. So first we see that Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus is not just plan B when things went awry. And we also see that part of Peter's accusation is that Jesus was killed by men outside the law. That means they did something really wrong in using another law to judge Jesus. In our gospel passage, Jesus himself appears to these two men unawares on this road to Emmaus. And Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. For Jesus, it was important that the revelation that came before him should be understood as being about him. And in general, while some things most definitely change in the light of the coming of Christ, of course, we no longer go to temple and make sacrifices and such, Jesus is not in conflict with the Father or the God of the Old Testament. And he's certainly not in conflict with the Holy Spirit, who is to give us a spirit that would seek holiness and edification and sanctification. All three persons of the Godhead possess the same desire for us to seek righteous living in light of the kingdom of God. And that, I would argue, is the call that is often missing from the church today for fear of sounding legalistic or judgmental in any way. But if our call is to discipleship, if our call from Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission, is that we would go to all the nations and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit and teach everything that Jesus commanded, well, then we should acknowledge that would include the law of God as well as the gospel that frees us from perfect obedience. Much more could be said about all of this. This is merely the, the tip of the tip of the iceberg. And perhaps these are all themes that we can flesh out. I, I simply wanted to bring to our attention the way that Jesus himself points to Moses and the prophets so that we could understand who he is and what exactly he has accomplished. I just wanted to lay some groundwork 
for considering our relationship to the whole Bible. And I just want to ask you, what do you think of the law and the prophets? Do you see Christ as opposed to them? The fulfillment of them? Are they obsolete? Or still perhaps relevant to the Christian's life? What I would stress more than anything is that we should strive to know God as well as we can. And even if the Old Testament law is completely fulfilled, it still has much to teach us about the character and the nature of God. For he does not change, and the persons of the Trinity are all in perfect harmony, as they are all the same God. There is no God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. There is the law in the New Testament, and there is grace in the Old Testament. Christians often miss this, and that bifurcation is not good. The God who revealed himself to Abraham, who gave the law to Moses, who spoke through the prophets, who became flesh in Christ, and who rose Jesus from the dead, he has spoken to us. May we have the ears to hear all that he has said. And then we will know as well, like those on the road to Emmaus, the joy that they knew. For we will know the God who saves, the God who reconciles, and the God who resurrects us from the dead. Amen.